Thanks for visiting studiolighting.net. You're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 14 of Light Source, the official podcast of studiolighting.net. Studiolighting.net introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On today's show, we have an interview with PhotoFlex creator Gene Caster, and he's going to be talking about how they got started and their product lines and some of the new stuff they have for beginning photographers. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk with Gene. My first piece of lighting equipment was PhotoFlex equipment, and it's still in use today, so they have a special place in my heart. <laughs> And I play with a set at work, too, with my with our video setup, so it was really cool to speak with them as well. That's great. Now, we are planning to do some exciting things in the future with PhotoFlex. Uh, as far as StudioLighting.net is concerned, we're going to be offering a co-branded lesson site. You'll hear Gene talk a little bit about some of his photo lessons, his online lighting lessons. And we'll be working with PhotoFlex to provide a few of those uh, through our website as well. That'll be exciting. Yeah, they're a great online resource. So uh, what have you been up to, Ed? Not a whole lot, really. I'm still waiting on uh, my my new toy to arrive. I haven't been doing a whole lot of shooting. Uh, hopefully I'll get out and do something this weekend now that spring's kind of arriving. Great. Here. Yeah, the weather's breaking here in Pennsylvania, sunny Pennsylvania. We reached almost 70 degrees, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> The cherry blossoms are starting to, to bud, so it's, it's time right. to get out shooting. Well, there was a couple of interesting news articles that we put up on the website this week. I don't know if you got a chance to check that out. Uh, yeah, I was just checking some of those out. You were um, you had put up a link to Fixer. It's B-H-I-X-R, if that isn't confusing. Yeah, Fixer <laughs> with a P-H. Yeah, Fixer.com was really neat, actually. It's an online image editor. So you could actually upload a photo or point it to an existing photograph somewhere on the internet and then modify the image right in your web browser. You can do things like rotate and apply image effects. Uh, it's pretty neat stuff. Yeah, I'm sitting here playing with it right now. You can, oh, rotate it 45 degrees if you wanted yeah. to. It's completely free. So I was thinking it might come in handy if you uh, were just sort of in a jam and you were out away from your office and you had some images that needed just minor edits or something like that. It might be worth worth making note of. Oh, this is neat. And they have a link here to upload it directly to your Flickr account as well. Yeah, they're they're worked in with Flickr a little bit in, in the sense that you can get images from your photo feed or add them to your photo stream once you've edited them. Oh, so. very cool. Another thing that's on the news here on the, the studiolighting.net website I'm seeing is the new suite of white balance kits from White Bow. Oh, yeah, those are neat. Now, they were actually down at uh, Photoshop World Miami mm -hmm. as a as an exhibitor, and they're actually not too far down the road from us, so we got to get in touch with them and see if we can get them on the show or at least uh, have them come up and say hi. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, they look like some really rugged field kind of white balance tools. What they've done is they've redesigned their one that had the pinhole through it and it had the three different cards. Uh-huh. This is actually one solid card, so it's a lot more compact. It's it's a little bit bigger than a business card size. It looks like a tile of Formica. Oh, okay. And it has your, your gray balance on it, and it has a white reference, a black reference. 
and I believe on the back of it it has a focus graph where it has like a, a pinpoint registration thing so you can kind of measure your focus and things like that. Oh, that's really cool. It looks like a really cool kit from what they were doing. It's, you know, quick release, you know, on a lanyard and things like that. So it's uh, nice and compact and easy to take with you. Yeah, it looked like a really good product, something worth checking out. So you can check those stories out at studiolighting.net. And then we get to move into our interview with a PhotoFlex creator, Gene. That's right. Gene Kester is here with us. So uh, without further delay, let's go ahead and get into the interview. All right. On this edition of The Light Source tonight, we have with us Gene Kester, founder of PhotoFlex from PhotoFlex.com, PhotoFlex Lighting School, and WebPhotoSchool.com. Thanks for joining us, Gene. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. So you want to tell us a little bit about how you uh, got into the business of lighting and um, how you started your business? Uh, sure. I, I was a commercial photographer in San Francisco, myself and another uh, guy named Ralph Portillo. Uh, we were at an era uh, in San Francisco when Silicon Valley was starting for the first time. It's kind of started and gone out of business and started again. But we had a studio where we could produce anything that you wanted if you would bring your product to our studio. But with the Silicon Valley people, when they started their companies, they they really wanted photographers to come out to their facility and um, shoot in their conference rooms or warehouses or somewhere on on site because they had a lot of fragile prototypes that in some cases didn't really work. They were just programmed to show one image or something like that. So they had to have the engineers there and various people that they didn't want to bring all the way to San Francisco. So we found ourselves having to do studio quality work on location and, you know, 25, 28 years ago, that wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do because people built a lot of things in their studio to take high-quality work, and then they just, when they do it on location, it was usually just to kind of shoot simple quick shots, not necessarily to do full-on day or two- or three-day productions. So as we were doing this, we used to have two vans that we had to load up and unload every time we went out on location. So we were always looking for different ways to build things that would do multiple use and or could fold down, be compact, and, and go on location, save us weight and space, um, and try to be durable as well. So we had this big old four-and-a-half-by-six-foot uh, foam core softbox that we drag everywhere we, we went with us. So one night we were sitting in a mansion on top of a hill and overlooking the bay and we were shooting a cover for architectural digest that macy's was sponsoring and we had this uh, incredible dining room set with silver and china and crystal and it was very very expensive and so ralph and i only been in business for about a year or so so <laughs> we were thinking about hanging this thing out over the table and i'm looking at him and saying you know if that falls we have just gone bankrupt because there's no way <laughs> our insurance is going to cover the damage this will do let alone when we ever get another customer. So we had heard about these uh, nylon soft boxes, and I'd actually seen one before. Um, and while we were waiting on this location for night to come up, fall so we could take a nighttime shot of the bay and the, light the candles and all that stuff, I jumped in the car and went down and bought uh, my first collapsible or portable soft box. And it was a four by six foot, which is exactly what we were trying to accomplish there. And I brought it back up, and we were about 25 miles from the store, so this wasn't just run around the corner and get this thing. Uh, in the process of setting it up, I broke a rod. And, you know, I wasn't really exactly sure how all this was. I was watching the instructions, but they gave us two extra rods in the box, and I thought, hmm, this can't be a good sign when they give you extra parts. <laughs> but after I broke the first one, I went, oh, well, I'm glad they did, because okay, that, that must mean you didn't do it right, dummy. 
so now you have one extra rod to, to go so that you can do it again. So we got it together, and I had uh, all the rods up, and we put it on our boom, and we start, we hung it out over the table. But it, and it just was kind of like scary. It was just really was making us nervous. So Ralph had one of our assistants standing next to the boom. And as soon as we heard a crack, and which was the next rod going, he pushed the assistant, and the assistant pushed the boom over and smashed the head against the wall and broke our flash tube and everything, but we didn't hit the oh table. My. So we put this softbox aside, put a new strobe up on the boom, and then, and then just duct taped the, the, the <laughs> heck out of the um, foam core softbox so it wouldn't fall off the head and hit the table and cross our fingers and got the shot. Wow. But we had paid for this thing. It kind of got a little damaged when we threw it against the wall. And I thought it was a good idea, and it certainly was a lot better than carrying that foam core box around. So I went to another old friend of mine who was in the business of making fiberglass rods, and I asked him if he could make me uh, solid rods that would bend a lot better and would be mu much more durable and, and heavy duty. And so he looked at the, what, what I had sitting there and said, yeah, you know, this, this is easy. This is no big deal. We make rods that will withstand 30 miles an hour at the top of Mount Whitney, you know, the expedition backpacking tent. So this is no big deal. <laughs> so he said, oh, by the way, how much did that cost? And so I told him, and he goes, holy cow, I can sell you a six-man tent for what you just paid for that day. <laughs> so that kind of gave me some idea. I said, wow, that'd be great because we could make a couple of these, you know, that we could have them, that'd be great because we need about, you know, four, five, six to, to be able to do all the different things we want to do. And so he goes, no, I've got to make 100 because I can't buy the materials and put it together and do the sewing and everything. It's just, you know, it's not cost effective for the factory to do this without making, you know, at least a minimum amount of quantity. So I went to Ralph and we figured out how much it would cost us to produce 100 of these keep about 20 of them for ourselves and then sell off the remaining 80 at, at a local trade show in San Francisco, which is actually in the basement of the Catholic Church. So, I mean, it was really a low-key trade. First trade show I ever been to. So we, we built 100 of them. We, we bought some larges and mediums, which were 2 by 3 foot and 3 by 4 foot soft boxes in there. Set two of them up, put the price up, and it was a two-day show. Uh, went from like 10 to 2 on Saturday and Sunday. We set it up, at, and the first people came at 10. We were gone by 12 o'clock on the first day. We sold them all. No kidding. <laughs> so, An instant success. That's wonderful. Yeah, so I, as I was walking out the door, you know, there was a, a guy from a retail store, which was a big-time pro store in the city in those days, and he said, hey, if you could make some more of those and sell them to us, we could probably sell some for you. And so I didn't think much about it. We'd done what we needed to do. We got 20 of these portable soft boxes. I was thinking, wow, we can retire a van. I was thinking all the good things that were going to happen. And then as we're driving home, Ralph goes, you know, if we did another 100 of those. <laughs> so we made another 100, and we turned around and sold them to the retail stores. And then the retail stores found out about it in Southern California and Chicago and New York, but kind of heard what was going on with us in San Francisco. And so a couple of sales reps showed up. And pretty soon we're making another run, and we're in we're in the softbox business. Wow, just like that. But, so I really wasn't trying to go into business when I started Photoflex. Um, it, you know, and really this the kind of the business found us. That's a great story. Yeah, all you were really trying to do was solve a problem for what you yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to drive two vans around. <laughs>
Well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to the foam core softbox approach. So yeah. we really appreciate your your position, and we really thank you for your product line. Sure, you're welcome. I'm, I'm just really, I, I, we got into business, like I said, when we're walking out of that base from the Catholic Church because people asked us to. It was pretty much that simple. They saw that we could solve that problem for ourselves. Why maybe we could solve some other ones for them too. That's terrific. Now, PhotoFlex is much more than a softbox company today. What would you say are some of the more f- popular PhotoFlex products? Well, our, our reflectors are the second half of anybody's you know, basic lighting setup, the main light fill light. So um, we have round collapsible reflectors that we call the light discs. And then we have rectangular and square reflect- reflectors that um, fold up. They disassemble, actually. And that's another camping tent thing, you know, because they're all shock-coated like tent rods. Right. Um, and they, they, that's the way you don't lose the section. So, I mean, I've got to tell you, a lot of the things that we did when we built these products in the beginning were based upon what was going on in Ralph and my studio was that if we knew if we built a bunch of things you had to assemble, sure enough, we'd get to a location and one of them at least would be missing. Would be missing, So right? putting the shock coat in it was really a self-defense mechanism, not <laughs> anything else. Is that, well, you can't leave them now because they're all tied together. That's right. But we built those, and those are really um, uh, exceptional reflectors to, to, to take on location and use in your studio for providing that fill reflection to your main light. So those are two of the good things. And then we've been asked for years, uh, I'd say you know, maybe five years, for people said to us, would you please come out with something very simple to start out with because I can't afford this major expense for studio lighting after I just spent several thousand dollars for my first digital camera so can you manufacture something that we could get started with so we've always been kind of a professional photography company and this year for the first time we brought something out for the aspiring professional or the person who does it on weekends or you know is really interested in doing it as a, a, a hobby and they want to get good results which we call the first studio line okay uh, of portrait and studio and uh, product lighting kits well, what would be an example of, of a first studio well, the kit? Well, pro- the portrait kit is, is pretty simple. It's been around forever in terms of uh, philosophy. It's, it's two 45-inch umbrellas uh, with two constant light sources. That's kind of the wrinkle because, you know, strobes have been popular forever. Uh, and since the advent of digital camera and you, what you see is what you get on the back of the camera, constant light sources have been growing tremendously simply because they're easy to use. And if, if you see the picture in the back of the camera and it looks good to you and you take it, that's what the constant light source is going to give you so you don't have to use light meters and, and modeling my technology. So that's, I think, one of the, the greatest reasons people wanted this is because now that they have the ability to, uh, to purchase a professional-level uh, camera, and there's some un- amazing digital cameras out there now, they just wanted some simple lighting set up so that they could go along with that LCD screen idea on the back, which would say what you see is what you get. And videographers have been using two-light umbrella setups for you know, forever. You know, they're very simple lighting setups for an interview um, or a, a head and shoulders type um, uh, lighting setup for you know, a commercial or a training film or a talking head type of video. So um, both of those will enable people who have just gotten their first digital camera to get into the field relatively inexpensively. That's terrific. One thing I was just thinking of, too, as you were going through this about the benefit of using this continuous light source is you don't even really need to have a digital SLR or something that has a sync cable. 
these right. are constant light sources. You could use them with a prosumer camera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, they yeah, would yeah. really appeal to, you know, a really wide market. This isn't necessarily for just your digital SLR users, like some of the higher-end strobes or something that has a hot shoe. It can be used mm-hmm. with anything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the point is that there's so many people who have the ability now to take much, much better photographs, uh, especially outdoors, because th- that's kind of a natural for everybody. But when they come indoors, they're just a little nervous about, you know, this lighting thing, you know. It's like the mystery is David Copperfield or something. But really, when you start doing lighting, it's really easy. It really is. There's not a lot of difficult things about lighting. It's just like anything else, it's like you have to practice, you have to try different things. And with the digital camera, which I think is really cool, is that if you don't like a shot, you erase it. And, and both you guys know, we used to shoot uh, 5%. If I shot a roll of film, and we were shooting 4x5 in those days, and we would shoot you know, 50 shots or 4x5, and we would do that to get five shots. <laughs> right. And that means you had to buy the film, process the film, and it's a lot of a lot of hassle. Well, you can shoot 500 shots in a digital camera, and if you only get one, you can erase 499. So it makes it very fun to do lighting because you're not bearing a bunch of expense for all your mistakes. Now, if somebody wants to advance beyond the beginner uh, setups, Gene, you guys, you provide for them as well, right? You have some professional line uh, hot lights that you manufacture? Yeah, we started building the Starlight. Actually, uh, um, I pulled out my old prototype about a couple months ago because I couldn't remember and I had the date on it still and it was we started that 12 years ago wow. was when I started building the prototype of the Starlight and we originally conceived it for video because videographers were coming to us and said that they wanted to match soft boxes to hot lights you know tungsten lights that were out there low airy um, and, and these but those lights were never ever designed to put a softbox on. They were really designed to put barn doors on. And that means they sat out behind the softbox and projected into it. So that costs you about half your power. Wow. Which doubles the cost of your light. So by we so we started out with the Starlight twelve years ago to build a source very similar to what a strobe does where the flash tube sticks into the softbox and it becomes the apex of the reflector. And the starlight was simply that. It was to take the light, move it into the softbox, and increase the power by a factor of at least two. And um, we do that. I mean, that, so if we double the power, we then enable you to cut the price of your light in half over what the current lighting products were on the market. So we bought it out about 10 years ago. Um, it caught on. And then with the, uh, the rise in digital cameras, it just exploded because, like I said, what you see is what you get on the back of the camera. Uh, flash is an anticipatory thing. You have to look at the modeling light and say, okay, that's only 250-watt modeling lights. When I fire up this 1,000-watt strobe, it's going to be a different picture. So it's a lot more uh, knowledge and practice that way. With hot lights, what you see is what you get. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense to just be able to light the picture and then take the picture. I'll say that I started with hot lights and eventually moved into strobes for other reasons, but I can still see what my strobe's going to look like because of all my experience with the hot lights. I remember mm-hmm. what the light looks like when I move it, so it's a great way to get started. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think also strobes are uh, very important and they have their place. I Don't get me wrong. I I still have, I don't know, 30 strobes probably. Um, and at one time, Ralph and I had something like uh, 40,000 watts of power. 
strobe lights, which is because we had light big room sets. And there's things you can do with strobe that you can't do with hot lights. Each one of it has its limitations. Uh, strobes are 5,000 Kelvin, for instance. So if you have the windows open in a, in a room, you're getting roughly 5,000 Kelvin degrees temperature, which is what they call daylight. And if you have strobes on the inside of that living room or, or house or whatever you're shooting inside studio or whatever, the, the light will match. Right. If you're using tungsten, it's only 3,200 degrees Kelvin, which means it's yellower, it's warmer. So you get 5,000 K from the windows and 3,200 degrees from your light source. It, you know, it's not going to, you're going to get what they call mixed color temperature lighting. Sure. So that can be kind of a tricky thing to do if you haven't had a lot of experience. So there's where strobes has a clear advantage is if you're using 5K ambient light, you need 5K light to, to match that. Also, strobes are, are way more powerful. It's very difficult to use constant light source if you're doing big group photography uh, or, like I just said, it, you know, uh, uh, room settings where you need more power simply because 1,000 watts in strobe is not 1,000 watt in hot light. A thousand watt strobe is about really three f stops brighter than a thousand watt hot light, so that's a tremendous difference sure. um, in terms of power ratios. But the downside, it's about two to three times more expensive because flash tubes are expensive to make, and capacitors, which is what strobes are made out of, are expensive to make too. So you can't. That's the upside of hot lights is that they're very, very inexpensive compared to to producing the same uh, lighting effect with strobe. What, uh, what about light modifiers? If someone decides that they want to get started with hot lights, can they use the same light modifiers that you would use for strobes, or is there other considerations? Um, pretty much the same. The difference really boils down to heat. Strobes really produce little or no heat, except for the modeling light. And hot lights, or constant lights, are exactly that. When, when they're on constantly and they're producing light all the time, uh, they're warm. So we produce a line of soft boxes that were specifically designed for a little bit higher heat resistance, all the way up to 10K, which is movie lighting. Wow. And then we produce a line of strobe soft boxes, which is a little less expensive, that is designed out of what we call Duracloth, which is not um, as high heat resistant, but certainly is as, as efficient in terms of light output. So, and then soft boxes, I think, like I said before, is. With commercial guys, when you know, I go back 30 years, uh, it was an absolute must for us to have softbox simply because it was the most natural-looking light and it produced natural reflections for us. Umbrellas, which were portrait lighting people's answer, because the, it's a round uh, reflection in the eyes. It looks it looked pleasing to them, but you can't take a round reflective light source and use it in commercial because it just doesn't look like a natural uh, as a square or a rectangular shape. Right. So that that was really the difference between us being able to build light modifiers for portrait and commercial is that we had to try and uh, realize that they're separate, but there's also people together that do both. So we produced, we have a line of light modifiers that are round, we have ones that are rectangular, and we have ones that are narrow, which we call half domes, because there are people who want to shoot this, such things as wine bottles and taller vertical subjects that need that long, narrow highlight. So the shape of the softbox is also something that is important to the photographer depending upon what the subject is that they're shooting. The reflection shape is really what that's all about then. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that was really important to me, um, I went to school and graduated with a degree in advertising, and I minored in photography. And the photography school I went to 
didn't teach us anything about studio lighting. I was really good, not not great, but good at outdoor lighting. I could use a fill card. I could use diffusion screens because, you know, these guys used to say in the old days, the camera used to have in the film. If you looked at the film sheets, it would give you the ASA and the color rating in film, and it would put the person under a cloud, hmm. and it would give you a different color correction filter, filtration pack for that. And that kind of taught us in the old days when we were shooting outside as well. What's this under the cloud thing? So we started actually learning from reading on the film technical sheet uh, that if you put people under a cloud, boy, it really softened the, the highlights and, and put detail in the shadows. So shooting portraits in the shade was really a better thing than taking them out into the sun. And strange as it is, learning this off of a, a 120 film roll tech sheet, but that was kind of my first understanding of how light differed in terms of film use. So when I went into business with my partner, Ralph, he was a graduate of Brooks, and I have never met in the 35 years I've been doing this a better lighting guy. This guy knew, he was intuitive about how light worked, and to this day he still knows more than I do. Uh, but he, he said, okay, you teach me the advertising stuff and how we go out and make our portfolio and approach clients and get the jobs, and I'll teach you lighting. So that's what we did. That's and it worked out real well for both of us because we collaborated on a lot of the designs together because we both had two slightly different views of the same subject. So now he's helped you out with your lighting, and now you're actually going another step and helping out people that are interested in purchasing your product. So you have two sites that I'd, I'd love for you to tell us, tell our users about. Um, I, I really like Photoflex Lighting School, PhotoflexLightingSchool.com. That is probably my payback to the industry, whatever, because Ralph taught me whatever I know, and when we go to Photoflex Lighting School, I'm kind of, what I wanted to do is set up an instructional educational free site for people, A, to, use, to be able to learn how to use Photoflex products, but B, to really teach them what I learned about why light does what it does and and how it works. There's very simple uh, physical theorems, and you know, the first thing we all learn when we're a kid is light travels in parallel lines. But when you get into photography school, <clears throat> one of the first things they teach you is that uh, light reflects equal to the uh, angle of incident that it hits. So one of the most common mistakes that people do is when they pose somebody in front of a window, the angle of the light traveling out that window is going to come exactly back at them. You know, that's a 90 degree the flash is going to come right back uh, on a reflection. If you just get off 15 degrees, the light will hit that uh, window uh, 15 degrees off that 90. It'll go 15 degrees on the other side of that 90, and it won't come back into the camera, and you have the same picture without that reflection in the window. That's great. That's the simplest example I could give people of how reflection of light is equal to the angle of incidence that it hits. And that's necessary for people to learn when they're trying to use a reflector as a fill because the reflector can only catch light from the main source. So if you don't set the main source up <clears throat> at an angle that's, that enables you to set the reflector up to fill the light into the shadow, it's really frustrating. And I've watched people try all the time to try to catch the light and bounce it into the subject's face, and they're not even looking at the main when they're doing it. They're just kind of like moving the reflector around, hoping that some sooner or later light will go on to their subject. <laughs> um, and if you just teach them that simple thing that, okay, you got the light set up there at 30-degree angle, you got to set the reflector off at 30-degree angle, and guess what? Boom, it's done, done deal. So a lot of those basic physical things that, that I learned that Ralph taught me 35 years ago so that we could you know, get some of these easy things done, 
are, are just like what David Copperfield would teach you if he's teaching you, you know, how to, how to do basic magic. And so that's all up on that side. And we're going to do more and more of this kind of stuff because I meet more guys and they say, ooh, you need to show them that the bigger the reflector, the bigger the reflection. I constantly am asked to trade, not me, but, I, uh, you know, just all the people in the lighting industry, people will come and say, so if I'm shooting a person full length, what size reflector do I need? And the basic uh, theory, again, is that the reflection can't be any larger than the reflector. So if you're using, if you want to shoot a five-foot-tall subject, you have to have a five-foot-tall reflector. It just, there's just no way around it if you want to fill in the shadow on that entire subject. So those are some of the basic things that we teach on PhotoFlex Lighting School, just so people will understand how light works. And then when we bring the product lessons to them, which are, I think there's about 120 product lessons on there as well, and lighting and photography lessons, that they'll begin to understand why we do some of the things we do and we put lights in some of the places that we put them because we're trying to accomplish some of these physical uh, laws that we've put in the beginning of the, of the classes there. My favorite part about the the website that you're talking about is that you've completely illustrated every lesson with photography, so you can really see what what the material is all about, and you get a really good idea. Most of us are visual people if we're photographers, so it's a great way to learn. Yeah, yeah. and it's really fun. I really enjoy working on that school because it, it kind of challenges me to come up with the photographic demonstration of what I'm trying to explain, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not, and, you know, I just have to keep working on it until we get it to, so that people can understand it. The other site is kind of an expansion of that site. Webphotoschool.com is once again something that people ask us to build. We've been teaching lighting lessons on our website one way that are, you know, basic lighting lessons, main fill and hair light and things like that. About the same time I started the Starlight, you know, uh, 10, 11 years ago, when people would come to us and they'd see the lessons, they'd say, yeah, but so what's the f-stop and shutter speed? And what kind of tripod is that? And, you know, things like that that really didn't have much to do with the lighting that we were trying to do, but they needed to, to understand that. The best analogy I can give you is at a trade show once, and I was talking to the president of another company, and he was asking me about trade shows. He was trying to get into the industries from Europe. And I said, you know, here's your problem our problem, everybody's problem in this industry, is that this industry is like the auto parts industry. We're all building the parts. No one's building the car. <laughs> right. So if you try to put the camera to the, to the lighting, to the computer, to the printer, to the software, to the, all these things, there's no one where you can go and see them all put together and someone can sit down and say, here, here's the wheel. Let me take you for a test drive. It doesn't exist. It's true. And that's the major problem for people who are trying to get into this technology is everybody's telling you they're part of it and no one's telling you how it all works together. And I still think that's true today in this industry, that you know people will bring out this revolutionary technology, but how do I plug it in? You know, <laughs> when I plug it in, how do I get it out? And things like that. So we built the Web Photo School because people asked us to. Can you please be the one who will go out and build this car for us? So uh, we did. And it'll take from opening the box when you get the camera on your birthday or whatever to being able to shoot, you know, advanced photography as you can get. So there's like 400 lessons on there. They're all in a step-by-step -step process. We've been doing it now for eight years, and it just gets bigger and bigger and better and better. Do you have a favorite lesson on, uh, on either of the two sites? I tell you, my favorite lesson is one that we actually is kind of old. We were talking to this lady who is a middle school teacher in New York. 
and we were showing her the kind of concept. And so she said, I need you to be able to do something for me because I'm having a heck of a time with my eighth grade students keeping their attention, keeping them interested. You know, there's so much technology I have to teach them and all this stuff that they don't really even get it. And I just need something that makes it fun for them. So we put one of these guys in our office in a bottle. Uh, we took a picture of him first on the set, and then we took a picture of a glass jar, and then we showed him step-by-step step in Photoshop how to cut around him and put him inside the glass jar and then uh, with the various Photoshop tools, make it look like he was actually in the jar. And we put it up on the site, we told it was there, and, and, and every year we go to the New York show, she shows up and says, I'm still using it. He said, this is uh, <laughs> unbelievable. These kids, that's the first lesson I show them to get them in, interested in digital photography, and they go home and they put their parents in the wine bottle, they put their uncle in the Jack Daniels bottle, they put their dog <laughs> in, <That's great. laughs> in the Coke bottle. And yeah, and she says, it's just so much fun to teach photography when you can show people how easy it is to do this stuff. So that's probably my favorite lesson because it just seems to have so much success with you know eighth grade kids. That's great. And you have some simple lessons, like you said, but you also have some really complex lighting setups and really bring in all the different types of modifiers and explain how they're used, double diffusion and those sorts of things. So someone could spend an awful lot of time here <laughs> figuring things out. Yeah. And again, we I've shot the same portrait over 27 times, like, you know, maybe 127. I don't know. I mean, when you use a man in a field light, you pretty much... Have set up the basic lighting system, whether it's a main in the fill reflector or a main in the fill light. But every time I shoot a portrait, I always do something a little different. Or when I shoot a product, I, I mean, I never seem to have the you know the same approach over again. So it's kind of like, how many songs can someone write? Sure. You know, how high is the sky? Really, I mean, the same way with lighting and photography, you can always change it up somehow and make it look different and more interesting. Well, that's probably one of the, the big things that always attracts me to the creative careers is that it's never the same thing every day. Uh-huh. I agree. And that's the best part, I think. It keeps you coming back. Absolutely. So, Gene, could you give us an example of a very basic lighting lesson? Maybe an example of something that you learned when you first started. One of my first things I'll tell, tell everybody who's listening to me is that there is no right way and there is no wrong way. There's just a way. So you have to start somewhere. So, you know, the basic setup, the first lesson I ever learned on how to set up lighting and so that I could remember stuff, Ralph set this thing up for me and said, okay, because I was never a portrait photographer. You know, I mean, when I went outside, I shot people, but I never learned how to shoot portraits in the studio, and I couldn't remember everything that he told me all the time. So the first thing he said was, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he set up a light stand at 45 degrees from... If you're sitting at the camera looking at the subject, it's 45 degrees off the angle of your subject, okay? And he brought it back about, say, eight feet. You know, it doesn't specifically matter, but you have to pick the distance which you think illuminates your subject best. So mine was around eight feet with a three-foot by four-foot softbox. And then he tied a string to the stand, and he brought the string to the model that we had sitting in the warehouse, and then he had her hold it in her hand right around about six inches below her chin, and he put a little piece of tape around it, and he put M on it. And then he put out another stand at 45 degrees to that one, and it was like maybe 10 feet away, and it had a strobe, and we were using strobes in those days, so the strobe was turned out about half power, so it wouldn't be at the same brightness as the main. And he put the string out there, and he put a little F on it, 
Okay, then he put a string from the model to the camera that I was at, and that was probably 12 feet away. And then he had the model hold that, and it said C on it. Okay, and they said, okay, now take the picture. And I did. We were using Polaroid in those days because everybody used Polaroid. <laughs> but I looked at the Polaroid and said, wow, that's perfect. And he said, now, if you want to shoot a portrait, all you have to do is have the model hold the strings and pull them out until they're tight and they're going to be exactly the same position every <laughs> single time and you're going to get that picture that's on that Polaroid every single time. <laughs> that's great. So that's really um, one of the ways that um, I learned how to shoot portraits to start with. Now, the second thing he told me was don't ever put them in the same place twice. Start with them there, take the Polaroid, and then start moving them around. Raise them up, lower them down, move them in, move them out. But at least you know... If you start in the same position every time, do you have some place to start your modifications from? And you also remind yourself not to leave them there. You know, so you bring the string out, and then you say, ah, you know, let's shorten it, let's move it back, let's raise the softbox, let's lower the softbox, let's do different things. Experiment from there. That's great. Next, you'll be packaging uh, three different lengths of strings with your. Yeah, but on string. <laughs> hey, that's a good idea. I can on eBay. Put the, uh, the, the magic portrait string. That's right. There you go. The next uh-huh. product line from Photoflex. Yeah. That's a really neat way for people to just, you know, get a starting point and then just start to experiment and see what it does to your light and how it changes the portrait. So. Yep. And we recommend everybody definitely checks out the Photoflex Lighting School and the Web Photo School. Yeah, the Photoflex Lighting School is free. And again, we have a way for people to leave us comments on that site. They can enter the drawing and answer the questionnaire, and we religiously read that feedback So, the, because I don't, don't necessarily know what lessons I should shoot, and then people come and tell us well, that, that string lesson. I told you I did that string lesson a couple months ago because people came and asked me the same things, that, gee, I need to get started, and I'm not sure I know how to do this, where should I position lights, and that took me back way back when I was having the same problem when Ralph was teaching me. So if they ask, they come to the site and leave us uh, requests for lessons, that's what we use for our, you know, our feature content. That's great. So uh, make sure you check that out. And we'll put links to all these things on our website as well with the show notes for the show. How about uh, general advice, Gene? We have a lot of folks listening to the show who are just getting started. And apart from picking up a starter kit from Photoflex, what would, what would be your, your most valuable advice, do you think? Um, practice. You know, I, I don't think that the photography is any different from the piano or, you know, any other thing that you have to do well. One of the things that I hear a lot from people is, gee, I, how do I get pictures like that? I said, just got to try. You got to use the string method or whatever method you set up for yourself. You got to try that. You got to put hours on the camera and you got to look at the pictures that you take and decide what you like, what you don't like, how you want to make changes. And, and you just have to practice. That's why I think that now is so cool because in the old days when you had to practice, you had to develop the film, then you had to go into the dark room, and then you had to develop the prints, and then you looked at the prints and go, oh, damn, two stops under. Oh, man. <laughs> and you had to start all over again. That might be three days later. Now, with digital cameras, if you don't like a picture, you go, ooh, but light's too bright. Change the camera. Oh, no, change the light. You know, Whichever you want to do, it's three seconds rather than three days. So practice is so much more fun than it used to be. Absolutely, and yeah, that's uh, that's my big thing. Is I I spend so much time in the basement with the lights in the background and either shooting the kids or myself. I always find it's a fun exercise to do. Oh yeah, yep. And and you'll find that um, the more you practice, the easier it is to work with 
subjects, too. If you spend a lot of time in the basement, I think you'll agree with me, is that when you don't shoot for a while, when you get down there and you're in front of a, you're working with a, a subject, whether you know them or not, you get kind of uncomfortable because you're not sure what to do. Geez, what are but the more you're, you're working with people, the easier it gets to work with them, and they can sense that. When you're relaxed, they relax too. You're nervous and kind of jittery and like biting your fingernails and going, I don't know what the heck I'm going to, where should I move this light and stuff like that. Um, they pick up on that and they get a little bit nervous too. And then it's not as much fun as it could be. And that's probably some of the, the best advice we've had for working with models on the show because I, I completely relate to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree, Ed. Now, if someone wanted to purchase PhotoFlex products, Gene, can they do it through PhotoFlex.com or should they be looking at their local distributor? Um, well, photoflex.com, uh, the site, well, has a search engine for dealers on it. So if you go up and put your zip code in, it'll pull up the, the U.S. dealers, um, and it usually references the specific product you're looking for. So if, if you go up to a specific product and you want to know if a dealer carries that, and you still go through the search engine, it will tell you whether they carry that specific product or not, rather than whether they carry a photoflex product. Outstanding. So save you some time well once again we've been talking with gene kester of photoflex.com and gene we've had a terrific time talking with you tonight we really appreciate you taking some time to set aside and, and come on the show hey my pleasure guys you know and if, if there's anything you guys want to know and i can help you find it out let me know okay gene have a great night you too have fun okay thanks that's all we have for this episode of light source the brightest podcast on the internet be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for links to the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you'll also find links to our photography and kind of keep up on some of the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us questions or feedback about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll either try to answer those questions on the show or on the forum in the lighting's question section. Or you can get feedback on your photos at our new Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Until next time. Take care. The story so far. I need a photo for the cover of a trade pub. And I need it by next Monday. I'm not finding exactly what I want. It's an identity theft, privacy type of shot. I'll send you the details. All right, count me in. I'll do it. Find out how a simple photo shoot goes completely wrong and teaches this photographer a few lessons. Or two or three. Listen to the whole story on the next photocast, available at edhidden.com. It's photocast.